What you're about to listen to is an interview conducted in 1997 between Next Generation Magazine and Howard Lincoln, the chairman of Nintendo of America. For years, Howard oversaw some of Nintendo's biggest success stories, including the Nintendo Entertainment System and Super NES. By 1997, Howard Lincoln's luck was starting to run out. After a closer-than-expected battle with Sega in the 16-bit era, Nintendo's next move was to release the Virtual Boy, a faux virtual reality headset that used red lines to give off the impression of 3D. Unfortunately, it was too expensive and gave people headaches, leading Nintendo to eventually discontinue the system. They followed that up with the Nintendo 64, a cartridge-based console with a limited selection of games. All this led to a surprisingly confrontational interview between the game-publishing giant and Next Generation magazine. Unfortunately, Next Generation closed up shop in 2002, and no audio from this interview exists online. But we at Defunct Games feel that it's vitally important to preserve these interviews. That way, future generations can learn from our past mistakes. For tonight's episode, I'll be playing the part of Next Generation magazine, Howard Lincoln will be played by Jeremy Lamont, a friend of defunct games hailing from the Great Salt Lake. The city, that is, not the actual lake. The following is a real interview that was actually published in a national magazine. Please enjoy this special look back at one of the greatest interviews in video game history. Alright, let's just get right into it. How intently is Nintendo still pursuing the policy of quality over quantity in regards to Nintendo 64 software? Well, we're very committed to quality. That's the driving principle behind the launch of Nintendo 64, and it will continue to be so as we build our library throughout 1997. So then, how well does the current Nintendo 64 lineup of games vindicate this philosophy? Certainly there aren't many Nintendo 64 games, but do you think the games are of a high quality? The current line of games absolutely vindicates our quality philosophy. According to TRST's data, of the top ten selling games during the holiday season, six were Nintendo 64. First was Super Mario 64, third was Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, five was Killer Instinct Gold, six was uh, Cruising USA, eight was Wave Race 64, and nine was Mortal Kombat Trilogy from Midway. And of the remaining four in the top ten, two were Super NES games, Donkey Kong Country 3 and Donkey Kong Country 2. That leaves just one Saturn title and just one PlayStation title in the top ten. We know consumers value quality games, and Nintendo's provided them. We recently launched Mario Kart 64, and by the end of March we'll have already shipped one million games, which is incredible. In fact, Mario Kart 64 is selling at a ratio of nearly one-to-one -one with the hardware, just like Super Mario 64 has. With so few Nintendo 64 games released, it's no wonder that N64 owners are snapping up whatever is made available. But this doesn't mean they're of top quality. Altered Beast was a dreadful Genesis game. It sold thousands because it was the only game available. But that doesn't make it a classic. You mentioned Super Mario 64, and clearly it's a superb game. But doesn't its strength simply serve to highlight the rest of the Nintendo 64 software lineup's inadequacies? If gamers know that Nintendo 64 is capable of Super Mario 64, then why would they settle for anything else? Super Mario 64 highlights what the Nintendo 64 is capable of, and it does so exceptionally well. 
We shoot for that high level with every game we produce. And while we may not always reach the extreme high watermark created by Super Mario 64, the majority of the games already are mega-hits at the cash register. We're an entertainment business, and we have an excellent track record of keeping consumers entertained and coming back for more. Super Mario 64 is a groundbreaking title and was the perfect game to launch a new system. Now, with titles like Mario Kart 64, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, Turok, and others, we continue to set the standard for gameplay. But many would argue that the rest of the Nintendo 64 lineup fails to set any kind of standard for gameplay. Increasingly, more and more gamers are criticizing Nintendo 64 software for being too safe, out of date, and only marginally superior in aesthetic quality to Sony and Sega's 32-bit competition. <laughs> I happen to disagree with all of your points. First, these games are not too safe. We've truly raised the bar on video gaming. Our consumers and the phenomenal sales we're experiencing tell us so. Yes, Mario's a revolution, but so are Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, Wave Race 64, Turok, and others, because they provide a unique gaming experience. You couldn't put any of these Nintendo 64 games on a PlayStation or Saturn or PC and get the same result. Second, are Nintendo 64 games out of date? Not at all. These titles, including even some of the coin-op conversions, are revolutionizing the gaming industry. Nintendo 64 and its games helped grow the video game industry up 23% in 1996 over 1995. It's true, we've introduced several titles based on coin-op versions, which have been wildly successful in the arcades. That's why we chose to bring them to Nintendo 64. The ability to add some new elements based on the advanced capabilities of the system is a reason for gamers to be excited. Of course, we couldn't have a library of entirely coin-op conversions, but the ability to offer sequels or new takes on popular properties only enhances the gaming experience. Third, are they better than the games available for PlayStation and Saturn? Look at the sales numbers since Nintendo 64 launched last September. We've outsold our competitors every month since then, and are still continue to have software shortages at retail. People buy hardware to play the software. What will provide the ultimate video game experience? Mario. Wave Race, Mario Kart, Turok, all of our games provide an experience far beyond anything that's offered on a 32-bit machine. How would you defend the Dream Team from accusations of being a spectacular failure? Where are the games from Angel Studios, Game Tech, Virgin, Spectrum Holobyte, and Sierra? With average unit sales of 270,000 per Nintendo 64 title, I wouldn't venture to say that it's anything other than a major success. Turok? Killer Instinct Gold, or Star Wars Shadows of the Empire, these games are from our earliest Dream Team developers and publishers, and they've sold well beyond anyone's expectations. We still can't meet the demand. If anything, game developers are taking extra time to make sure they take full advantage of the capabilities of the system. Developing for Nintendo 64 is a new experience. The system is able to do things that no other gaming platform can, and that just takes time for developers to maximize. Just because you haven't seen what Angel Studios is developing doesn't mean nothing's happening. Rest assured, you'll see more, and when you do, you'll be glad the developer took that extra bit of time. Three of the most popular game genres are sports sims, 3D fighters, and role-playing games. Nintendo 64 doesn't offer gamers any titles in any of those categories. Why? We're not out to win the quantity contest, just quality. Therefore, we haven't rushed titles to market just so we can say we have one or more of everything. This will happen over the next ten months. We'll have games for all genres, and they'll be standouts. It was original, never seen anything like it before titles like Pilot Wings and F-Zero that made Super NES such a breath of fresh air at launch. Why has Nintendo 64's launch relied so much on updates of existing titles, 
and not breaking any new ground. I believe your magazine was the first to declare Super Mario 64 the greatest video game of all time. In my mind, that qualifies as an original, never-seen-anything-like-it-before title. I believe all our titles have broken the previous mold of gameplay. Some are familiar mega-hit titles updated to 64-bit quality. And why are third parties having such a hard time making Nintendo 64 games? It takes time and resources to develop software for a completely new platform. There are too many mediocre titles in the marketplace on other platforms which aren't selling. Therefore, it's in a developer's best interest to take the time to learn and develop a game that takes advantage of the technical capabilities of a more advanced system. When Mario was shown at E3, some developers went back to their drawing boards realizing they needed to think more out of the box. You get comfortable developing one way, you've got to take the time to break some old habits to take advantage of the new environment. Is the absence of any adventurous, innovative, ambitious support from third parties attributable to the rigid cartridge business model scaring off all but the safest projects? Midway is about to launch its fourth title for Nintendo 64 and has several others underway. Acclaim just launched Turok, a very innovative game. We've got nearly 60 developers in the U.S. and Europe working on titles for Nintendo 64, and you can bet these titles will be all three, adventurous, innovative, and ambitious. Our third-party titles number will never rival Sony, and we don't want it to. We're interested in having developers with the desire and technical know-how to create platinum-selling games for Nintendo 64. We would like to thank Howard Lincoln for taking the time to meet with Next Generation Magazine, and Next Generation Magazine for publishing this article in the first place. Without you, this totally fake audio interview would not have been possible. I would also like to thank Jeremy Lamont for helping me bring this larger-than-life character to, well, life. To Nintendo's credit, great games did eventually show up on the Nintendo 64. Nintendo supported the system with games like Zelda, Ocarina of Time, GoldenEye 007, Super Smash Bros., and Paper Mario, while third parties delivered games like Star Wars, Rogue Squadron, Resident Evil 2, and other games I'm forgetting about. But even with these games, Next Generation was right. Sure, sales were brisk for a few months, but support started to dry up as Sony countered with high-quality games and consumers grew tired of waiting for new Nintendo 64 titles. What's more, the cartridge games were much more expensive than Sony's discs, normally with a $20 to $30 price difference. Nintendo would eventually deliver on the software, but the damage had already been done. In the end, Howard's talk about strong sales was short-lived. Sony's PlayStation went on to sell over 100 million units, while the Nintendo 64 topped out at 33 million. And Sony eventually found a winning formula that involved both first and third party companies living in harmony. Howard Lincoln may have stepped down in 2000, but many of Nintendo's problems still linger. It's a shame that the software giant still hasn't figured out a way of coexisting with third-party companies. Perhaps one day, they'll turn it all around. Thank you again for listening to Interview Reenactment Theater. Join us next week for another episode, and don't forget to check out defunctgames.com, and find us on Twitter at defunctgames.com.